Good morning, everybody. That's good. Lively today. Good. So there's an old Indian proverb. It says, tell me a fact and I'll learn it. Tell me a truth and I'll believe it. Tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. And I think there's so much truth in that. Stories have a way of grabbing our hearts. They have a way of sticking with us, sticking in our memories. And my guess is that when you get together with uh, family at reunions or when you get together with old friends, you probably don't sit around and talk about facts a lot, like the history of the facts of your life. You probably share stories, uh, memories that are connected to meaningful things for you, good and bad memories that also speak to the strength of your relationship and why you're in relationship with those people. Hard times that you walk through together, but that you made it through. Good times as well, things that you laugh about. Sometimes the best stories are the ones that are told over and over again because they grow, don't they? They just kind of change over time. Uh, Your story, uh, I guess those are called fish stories or fishing stories, but uh, stories are great that way. You know, there's a lot of things I don't know about my dad's upbringing. A lot of facts I don't know. One fact I do know is that he grew up as the oldest of nine kids in East Berlin, Pennsylvania, which is just about 20 miles down the road or so. Um, He was the oldest of nine. I don't know a lot of the facts about him growing up in East Berlin, but I do know this. I know a lot of the stories about he and his brothers getting in a lot of trouble in that little town uh, as they grew up together. I've heard many of those. And I can tell you that after my dad went, uh, after high school, he went into the Air Force and he was stationed in Panama City, Florida. And I can tell you a number of stories of him being in the Air Force as well. Uh, If you know my dad, you know that I know these stories because he loves to tell stories also. So I'm very familiar with these stories. Many of them I I have heard many times also. But one of the stories that I love most about him being in the Air Force, uh, one of the things that my dad did a little too much when he was in the Air Force was to drink. And so one night when he was out drinking, he stumbled onto the door of a small church in Panama City, Florida. And eventually that pastor came out and found him there and welcomed him in. And over the hours that followed, as my dad kind of sobered up a little bit, that pastor was able to share with my dad that God had a bigger story for his life than the life that he was currently living. And that night, my dad surrendered his life to Christ in that little church in Panama City. And this is why stories are good. They bring emotion and connection. They help you understand. And my dad in that church and in his time when he was stationed there in that church in Panama City discovered his love for singing and his love for worship and his love for God. And that's what began his call to ministry was in that place where God did a turnaround story in the life of my dad. My dad came back from the Air Force and eventually helped all of his eight siblings and his mom and dad all come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus And that began a whole different story for their family than what they had been known for prior to that point. You see, facts are important. I could have told you a lot of things about my dad this morning, but they don't move us the way stories do. And they don't help us understand our world. And they don't, facts don't help us understand even our own story because often facts feel impersonal and they feel distant. Stories are powerful and moving because they stay with us like nothing else can. Why do they do that? I believe it's because stories have a unique way and God uses stories to open the door of our heart in order for us to access the story that he's been writing in our life all along. And sometimes when we start to understand our story and we take time to reflect on it, and even as I just shared that story about my dad, the reason why that's so meaningful to me is because I can go back and think about 
how my story may have been different or may have never been (laughs) had God not gotten a hold of my dad. So I get to expand on the bigger story of what God's at work doing, what he's always been at work doing in writing the story of my life, whether I was aware of it or not. So today, as we continue our What's Your Story series, we've been talking about the value of not only sharing your story with someone, but before you can share it, you have to know it. You have to have spent time reflecting on what is the story that God's been writing in my life? And do I know it enough that I could tell it to someone? Your story is unique and powerful because it's the story of how you became convinced that you were loved and accepted by God. Regardless of who you are, your story is important because it's a story about growth and change. Your story is, is a story about discovering meaning and purpose in your life. Your story and my story are about struggle and grace. And our story is also about redemption and restoration. Those are parts of the story that we all share and we all have in common. God tells those stories uniquely through each one of our lives. It's an awesome thing. During this series, we've been encouraging each other to compose our our Christ-centered stories and to tell those stories. And when you hear the story of someone's life, it's possibly the most powerful thing that you could ever know about a person. Honestly, it's when you know the story of life change of another person in your life, it might be the most intimate connection that you have with that person when they've been willing to share that story with you. So to help us understand this, we've been asking different members of Daybreak staff over the past uh, couple of months to share their stories. And last week you got to hear from Dan, and this week you're going to hear from Laura Williams. You're going to hear Laura's story, and then later on you're going to get to hear some short stories of people who are going to be baptized in the service. So it's going to be a great morning of connection with each other and connection with God. And my hope is that even as you listen to Laura's story this morning, that you'll open your heart to the story that God is writing in your life so you can know it better. Let's watch and listen together. went back for Sunday night service and Wednesday prayer meeting. So as a child, that's just what I learned to do. And I was able to learn a lot about God. Really learned that Jesus loved me and that I should trust him and things like cast my cares upon him. Um, I accepted Jesus as a child. I don't really remember it. I can't pull that from my memory, but I know that I did it and it was celebrated at the time. And I even took a step to get baptized, but I do remember feeling really nervous Um, getting baptized and almost forced in the microphone to, you know, proclaim this statement of faith. And I did it, but I didn't truly understand it at the time. I felt like it was just part of what I had to do as an obedient child. So as I grew up and started to be exposed to more of the world and different friends and different people other than were in my church family, I started to question things. I didn't know how to let God love me, I don't think. I was confused by different feelings that I had of anger or frustration with other people. I knew that there was a God that I was taught about, that God is love and Jesus loves me, but I didn't feel loved in those situations where I was hurt. I didn't even really know how to talk to my parents or anyone in the church about it. I felt like it was so much teaching coming at me that I never really learned how to relate to the people who were teaching me. As I carried on through my young teen years, I 
started to make choices that weren't honoring. It seemed easier, and the people who were outside of the church seemed to love me better. I started to develop these two worlds. I had my church world, where I had the people there, and then I had this other world that was my secular, as they were called, and labeled friends. I just felt trapped. Like, I didn't know how to connect the worlds, and I favored the world that I felt like I fit in better. Um, but I plugged through. Like, I still went to church activities. I still went to church. I went to Christian camp every year. That was a place where I really felt like I did connect with God because there was counselors there, and, and they wanted to invest in us kids, and they wanted to get to know us. But there was also those people who were confused like me, um, trying to find themselves. So I found myself buddying up with the bad kids. And in fact, found a girl, Regina, who I connected with each year. We took things a step further each time we were at camp. Probably somewhere in late middle school, she brought cigarettes to camp. And so we snuck in the back and smoked them and got caught, obviously, because smoke trapped in a cabin with no windows. <laughs> like, I don't know what we were thinking about, but we got caught. I was brought before the um, director of the camp, Chief, who I loved so much and looked up to. I was embarrassed, but I also was kind of like, yeah, I did it. And I think they were looking for a lot of remorse for me, and I just couldn't give it. All these years, I've just suppressed kind of feelings and emotions um, related to God and faith because it felt like rules and I was living it up and having fun over here in my other world. So I got sent home. I got kicked out. And we lived five hours away from the camp. So it wasn't pretty. Oh, that's, um, that's a bad car ride. Yeah, it was a very bad car ride. Back at home, back to prayer meeting on Wednesday, because that was what we did. And it was strategically planned from my dad and our pastor. The whole message was on repentance and remorse. And I was <laughs> placed in the front row. And the gospel of shame. Yes. And it was just terrible. I remember thinking, like, this is so terrible. Like, how can you teach me that God is love? But I felt so unloved and shamed and embarrassed sitting there. That was a bad turning point for me because it, it made me not trust um, the people of the church, it made me not let them into my life. Um, so I let other people in and chose a path of being popular and liked and, um, you know, just getting into some trouble here and there. I still really wanted to know God. Like, I wanted to be like those kids who followed God. I couldn't do it. I couldn't get there. Um, so it was just this divide. And um, I chose to go to Messiah College um, because I know that God had a hold of my soul and my heart. Um, so thank goodness that I still made choices, I guess, out of obedience. But, you know, within a week there, I found the bad kids and um, got into trouble right away. If anyone knows about Messiah, there's a J council there, and I had snuck someone of the opposite sex in my room and had to go in front of J council and do community service. And I just felt, again, like this is who I am. I kind of went through college that way, just sticking with that crowd. And, and, you know, I get really sad and heartbroken sometimes because I feel when I see a young person living for God, I think, I wasted so much of my life living like that. And I think through that time, I probably let that eat at me. Um, and instead of humbly coming to God, I just started to believe that mm. as a, the lie that it was, that I was wasting my life. And I just could never be the Christian that God wanted me to be. Thankfully, I met um, an amazing man at Messiah, Dan, my husband. And um, when we got married, it probably took 
six months for God to really change my story around. He taught me that through just, okay, so when you're married, you can't get away from that person. So there's no two worlds. Like there's no world over here and a world over there, right? You're just like, your toothbrushes, everything is everywhere the same. So um, I could not live two worlds. There was one world with my husband and he was, He'll have to tell his story sometime, but he was kind of in the same circumstance as me. I mean, we were, I obviously found him in the bad crowd. So, um, yeah, (laughs) we were in the bad crowd. So as I learned to love him and let him into my life and go deeper with him emotionally than I ever did with any other human being so far in my life, I felt God saying like, this is what I want from you. I want you to talk to me like you talk to your husband that's how you pray trust in me like you trust in him to do whatever you're asking him to do for you cast your cares upon me like you're casting your anxieties and cares on him and so i i understood and so i was on fire so i i always say i was not a christian until that time like i truly accepted jesus at that time and i knew what i was called to do it wasn't like this perfect revelation of now i'm praying over every hurt and everything like that it took it takes time and it's still a journey but i started to you know ignite that this is what i want to do god jesus is my friend and how many times i sung what a friend we have in jesus in church you know those things that i had memorized and were just words on a page started to come alive and I'm, I'm sad that it took so long, but I'm so overwhelmingly glad that I understood it um, in those moments. We found a church, um, which was Daybreak. Even from our first or second Sunday, we both left thinking, wow, the way that the message was portrayed to us is not like our home churches, that we both grew up in similar home churches. And we didn't feel like it was rules. In fact, we felt like we could leave with practical application of, what do I do about this angry feeling I have or this conflict or this unsettled um, feeling in my heart of um, you know how I should live. So um, that just made us want to get involved. Yeah, I just I was on a mission. I <laughs> joined the Daybreak women's softball team. Never played softball before in my life, but I was like, whatever, I need friends that are good and not bad. Um, so I joined it and it was, awful because I didn't I don't even know if I played I think I blacked it out like I think I just went there and then was like no go ahead like and stood there so I don't remember ever playing but I went and then I was like okay that's not working so I joined the choir that was like really awkward and bad for me like that and plus I didn't really I couldn't sing like I think it was from the smoking like God took it away like I when I was little, I would sing to Sandy Patty, and I was like, I am good. Sandy oh, Patty. And then after the camp so incident. <laughs> anyway, I didn't give up, nonetheless. And as I was going on this journey of letting God into my life, I thought, okay, so what about student ministry? Because I'm sure that there's kids out there who felt like I felt. Um, so Dan and I decided to serve, and that was just awesome. I mean, I didn't feel totally 100% equipped to jump in and lead these kids. I was just arriving at my new revelation of how to love God and love Jesus. But I jumped in, and I was really well equipped. The, the youth staff and pastor um, just really loved us and um, pretty much taught us what it's all about to be in community within the church. We had our own 
small group per se of leaders who were encouraged and equipped as we served and met needs of the students. So I'm feeling very thankful that God used um, getting married to teach me how to love him and also took it a step further and to show me that I, I can't love people like he wants me to unless I learn to love him. And then he taught me how to love people and to how to let other people love me which now if you ask anyone about me or my personality, they would say that that's just what I do. Like I connect people and love people. And so I'm so glad that I had to kind of go through an awkward, terrible disconnecting time to find out who I was and how God wanted to use me because I wouldn't want it any other way now. So, Well, I just wish Alara wouldn't have held back so much when she told her story. <laughs> no, I love that. I love Laura's authenticity in her story. And I hope that you feel like that's true of us as a church family, that it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you're in the middle of right now. If we're on this journey of saying, God, here I am, do what you will in my life, that we can be open about the different places where we find ourselves, about the pain from our past, about the, the pain in our present as we surrender to the Lord together and learn and grow from each other together. That's really important. So uh, thank you, Laura, for sharing your story that way. I would love it if um, you would take this uh, little insert out of your program today. It says, what's your story on one side? And then on the other side, it says possible, theme, uh, possible before and since themes. And basically, um, these are just a lot of different ideas of how God may have been at at work in your life in the past and how he might be at work in your person right now. So sometimes when we have people fill this out when they're thinking about how to tell their story, we say, hey, just go down and check any of these themes that might relate to you in your life. And people start to go down the list and they check the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one, all the way down. They said, I, I checked all of them. <laughs> and it's true. In many ways, all of these things are true of us because they're all things that relate to the needs of our heart that God can address. Things that we need to surrender to God um, so we encourage people, hey, pick a few of them that are really maybe impactful to the season of life that you're in right now. Ways that you know God's been at work in you and that he continues to work in you. So those are just good ideas. There might be other ideas on here. But if you flip back over to the other side, the what's your story side, you can see that there are really these, um, these themes that we heard in Laura's story or these three different areas of her story, these three moves. The first uh, move is this, uh, her it was her life before she really understood what Jesus was all about. And then she shared the second move, and that was how she discovered a true relationship with Jesus. And then the third move she talked about is how her life has changed since she's met Jesus. And Laura's story is, is really one of God's grace meeting her and changing her life. And maybe when you heard Laura's story this morning, it unlocked a place in your heart that you could say, it's okay for me to have a messy story because God is still at work in me. I'm still on this journey. And sometimes when we get authentic and real with each other, we give each other permission to say, yeah, there are parts of my life that I don't love for everybody to know about. But the truth is, those are the areas of my life that I often need God to most address in my person. Those are the areas where I really need healing. Those are the areas where I would really need redemption or restoration grace in my life. God's at work writing this new story in us all the time. And it doesn't matter if you're new on your journey with Jesus or you've had a relationship with God for a long time. God is always at work 
writing this story in our lives. So I want to ask you this morning, what is the story that God is writing in your life? What is the story that God's writing in your life? And you don't need to feel like you have your story all figured out and tied up neatly in a bow before you share it. Because if you wait till your story is all cleaned up and tied up, you will never share it. <laughs> because this side of heaven, we will never get to the place where everything in our life is, perfect, is perfectly uh, cleaned up and tied up and presentable. And that's part of the journey that we're in with Jesus. Uh, for instance, one of the themes, I don't even know if it's on here, but one, we gave a shortened list, but one of the themes in my life that I'll give you an example of is the issue of control. Um, before I met Jesus, I struggled with, with wanting to control and make my own choices in life. And then I hit a place in my life where I realized no matter how much I tried to control things, I was not in control anyway. And the Lord really spoke to me about surrendering my life to God fully and saying, don't try to lead your own life, surrender it to me. So now I'm learning how to be open-handed before God and how to trust God with new things every day, things that maybe in the past I would have controlled, but now I'm learning how to trust God. That's one part of my story. This is one part. But if I wait till I never control things anymore in my life or never think that way in order to tell that story, I will never tell you that story. <laughs> because as I head more towards God, it's a constant day by day learning how to surrender the things of that day to the Lord and say, God, these are yours in my life, not mine. God's always writing this story. And maybe you're early on that journey of discovering the journey, the, the story that God's writing in your life. And this was true at one season in my life because there was a season when, when I was definitely writing my own story, but God was patiently working in my life behind the scenes to show me that he had a better story to write in my life. But the truth was, I didn't want God's story at first. If I was honest, I would say, I didn't believe that God could write a better story in my life than I could. Any of you relate to that? Like if you were totally honest, you'd say, God, I'm not surrendering my life to you because I don't believe that you can write a better story for me than I can. I don't believe, God, that the story that you would write would fulfill my heart and satisfy my soul. So I'm gonna keep writing my own story, Lord, instead of giving you the pen. I'm just gonna keep writing my own story. We've all been there at one place, one time or another. Maybe that's where you're sitting this morning and this sits heavy on your heart because you know that God has been right there with you along the way saying, hey, give me the pen. Just trust me. I can write a better story for you than you've been writing, but you're gonna have to trust me. Here's the amazing part. When you discover that God really does want to and is able to write a, a better story, a much better story, it's at that point in your life that your story becomes powerful because what God brings into our story is a story of redemption, of supernatural, unmerited grace. God writes turnaround stories. God writes love stories. God writes stories of hope that you and I could never write on our own. We couldn't. And do you know why we couldn't? We couldn't write that story for us because we would write out of our own story all of the pain. We would write out of our, we wouldn't want to include any of the struggle. We would just want to get to the end of the story that looked perfect. And God says, nope. I'm going to take the pain, I'm going to take the struggle, I'm going to take the hurt all along the way, and I'm going to use it to write a beautiful story of redemption and turnaround and grace in your life. And that's a story that everybody relates to and understands. Those are the stories that are worth celebrating and they're worth sharing. So here's what I want you to think about this morning. 
What if your story, what if the story of your life, what if your story is the story that unlocks someone else's heart so God can write a story of grace and redemption in their life? Maybe you heard Laura's story this morning and it unlocked something in your heart. And you said, God, I want you to write a story like that in me. But what if the story that you have to share, the story of God's work in you, God's bigger story through you is one that would unlock the heart of someone else to God's bigger story that he wants to write in their life. If you don't share your story, you risk the world around you thinking that Jesus is irrelevant to their life and he doesn't matter. That's why knowing your story and sharing it is so important. And to understand that better, we're going to look for a few minutes this morning before we head into baptisms. We're going to look at Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open it to that. If not, all of the scripture is in your outline this morning and you can follow along. But I'd love for you to follow along as we look at Romans chapter 10 this morning. And we're going to start with this, this truth uh, from Romans 10, that you've got to share your story because first of all, if it's good news for you, then it's good news for everyone. If your story is good news, if the story is good news for you, it's good news for everyone. You've probably heard the word gospel before, right? Some of you probably, when you hear the word gospel or gospels, you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you think, well, those are four books in the Bible that they must have just been entitled gospel. You know, that's what they are. But the word gospel actually means good news. That's what it means. The word gospel translated directly is the word, the words, good news. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of the good news about Jesus and why he came and what that means for you. And in fact, all of the books of the New Testament are simply expanding on the gospel. They just explain to us and instruct us and help us see the world the way that Jesus sees it so that we can live the way that Jesus lived. And the rest of the New Testament is also the way to help us learn how to do that as a church family. Because there's a lot of the New Testament that's written to help us learn how to be like Jesus together. Together. Like just explaining to us, this is what Jesus was like. This is who he was. And this is what he calls us to as we're sons and daughters and followers of his. It's pretty awesome. That's why we hold the scriptures so sacred. That's why God's word is so critical and so important. Because God's word holds the answers to the most important questions in our life. And this is what it's our guidebook. It's what gives us direction to who Jesus was, the good news about him, and how we should live as a result of that. So as we look at Romans 10, I want you to think of it in that light. Paul is helping the people of the first century understand the good news about Jesus. He's declaring an entirely new way to experience a life-changing relationship with God. So he's, he writes this in uh, Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Would you underline openly declaring your faith? As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you circle everyone? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So in verse 10, Paul says, what is the response of trusting Jesus as your forgiver and leader? What is your first response of, after being made right with God? He says, openly declaring your faith. Openly declaring that you put your faith and your trust and your confidence in Jesus. He's saying, telling your story. That's your first response. 
What should you do immediately after you've been made right with God? You begin to tell your story of the work that God has done in and through your life. You tell the powerful story that God is writing in your life that you've been made right with God and that it's good news. And who is the good news for? Look at verse 13. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It doesn't matter how messy your life has been. It doesn't matter if you understand all the theology. It matters that in your heart, you desire to have a relationship with God and you've surrendered to him. And you said, Jesus, here is my life. I surrender my life to you. You lead, you forgive because of what you've done on my behalf on the cross. I can be made right before a perfect and holy God. My sin, my shame. One of the guys who got baptized in the first service said, when I first came into this place, I loved it, but I felt so dirty because I didn't feel worthy to be in the presence of God. And I knew I was in the presence of God. And he said, before that first service was over, I felt so loved by God. I felt so encompassed by his grace, so surrounded with his love for me, I couldn't escape it. It was beautiful, beautiful story. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. If you're a Christian, this is your story. And here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. The good news really isn't about the facts. It's not about just the facts and the truth. Sure, those things are a key foundation to what you're able to do in order to respond to God. But the good news is really more about what causes your heart to engage. And that's that the God of the universe loves you deeply, loves you so much that he gave his life for you and he wants to be in relationship with you that will transform you and make the most out of the life that he's given to you. That's the good news. God wants you to know how deeply he loves you. As you even sit here this morning, it's God's number one desire that you not walk out of this church this morning feeling like, oh, I know more about God. He wants you to walk out of here this morning saying, I know him more. Not I know more about him. I know him more. I know his love. I know his grace. I know his desire and his heart for my life. So I'm gonna go out and live in such a way that honors that love relationship that I have with him. It's a beautiful thing. The good news is that Jesus' life and death and resurrection demonstrate the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. God came to love us and then he laid down his life for us. And he did all that in order to give us new life in him. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. And that's what baptism illustrates. We're going to see that in the baptisms this morning. When someone is baptized, we say, be dead to yourself and alive to Christ. Horizontal, dead. Vertical, alive. Jesus came not just to die for our sins so that we could scoot into heaven. He came to die for our sins so that he could make a way for us, not only to experience eternal life, but to have a whole new abundant life while we live here. This is God's heart for us. This is the good news of the story. This is the heart of God's desire to be in relationship with us, that we'll have new life in Christ. And that's the story that God has been writing since the first day of creation. Now, some of you have experienced God's, God's bigger story and you've said yes to G Jesus and you believe that he has the authority to forgive your sins and, and, and to redeem your past and that God has invited you into a life-changing relationship with him. But some of you are still on that journey. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you'd say, yeah, I think I've asked Jesus to lead my life, but if I were honest, I don't feel like I've experienced a lot of life change or I've allowed God to do a work of, of transformation in me. And some of you may even be sitting here and saying like, 
yeah, I'm still looking at this thing from a distance. I'm still saying, God, I see this offer that you've made, but maybe there are a lot of different reasons why you don't feel you can surrender to God or give your heart to him or say, God, would you take the pen and write a story in my life? And if that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you that the good news for you is even better than you could ever imagine. The good news that God has for you is beyond what, you, what has been holding you back. And it's worth the step of faith. It's worth it. It doesn't matter where you are, where you came from, or what your past is. The apostle Paul says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. What does that say about the depths of God's love for us? It's without condition. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this all might sound fantastic and every, that everyone can discover a life-changing journey with God through Jesus, that everybody can be saved. But this next verse starts with that halting three-letter word. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 10 starts with a big B-U-T, not B-U-T-T, a big B-U-T, all right? So what it starts with. So what? What could stop people from discovering this life-changing relationship with Jesus? What could keep people from getting that started? And according to Paul, now I want you to know, this is Paul who loved to tell his story of what he once was, how Jesus transformed his life, and now what he is because of that transformation that occurred in his life. This is coming from Paul, that guy who was the chief of sinners, that guy whose life was anti-God in every fashion. That same guy loves to tell this story. He says, you have to share your story. In Romans 10, 14, he says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Now, there are three how can statements in there. I'd love for you to underline them if you would. How can they call on him? Underline that one. The next one, how can they believe in him? And then the third one, how can they hear about him? Now, I want you to stop for just a minute and process this. According to Paul, what is the process of belief? And because these things are dependent on each other, as he goes down this list, we want to start with the last one and kind of work our way back. How can they hear about him? How can they hear about him? Some, someone hears about him through us sharing our Christ-centered story. So they, they experience him, but they understand this miraculous change that God wants to make, this miraculous transformation, they understand it through their relationship with someone like you and me, someone who they know. And I think it might go someone like this, somewhat like this. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that if people would say, well, if Jesus can bring change and transformation to someone like Paul, maybe he could change me too. And I think for you and I and the people who are around us, when we share our God-centered stories, people are thinking, if God can bring change to someone like Rick, <laughs> maybe he could do a work in me too. And I think people would say the same about you. When they see God's ability to transform our heart, that the good news was actually good news for us, that it made such a big impact on our lives, that sharing of the story will lead someone to, be, to make it believable to make the facts and the truth believable because here's the deal. I don't think you could talk to anyone in the United States who couldn't tell you something about the story of Jesus. I, I say that a little hesitantly because I know with immigration, lots of people coming from other places in the world, you might be able to find some. But for the most part, 
If you started to talk about the cross and what Jesus did, there are most of the people that you come in contact with are at least going to know some part of that story, of those facts, or of those truths, that truth. But it doesn't mean they're anywhere near ready to embrace it. It doesn't mean they're anywhere near ready to put their faith in him or put their trust in him. But when they hear the story, those facts, that truth, as told through your transformed life and the journey that God's taken you on, it becomes more believable for them because they end up thinking, if they can experience it, maybe I can believe it too. Maybe it would make a difference for me. So your story leads to belief, which leads to people calling on the name of the Lord and experiencing transformation in their own own heart. It's an amazing thing. And I want you to think about this for a minute. If you've ever only thought of sharing the gospel as facts and belief, do you think that feels like good news to people on the other side of hearing it? And do you think you want to share it? Because for most people, facts and beliefs and truths don't feel like good news for people. A lot of times they feel more like religion and rules. And we're not quick to share religion and rules with people these days, are we? But we want to share good news. In Laura's story, there were lots of people that had facts for her. Lots of people that had rules. Lots of people that wanted to right her wrong and help her find the right place. But none of that was transformative for Lara. The answer to the how questions that Paul is asking here, the answers to how, the, how can they hear and how can they believe and how can they call on him, they're found in sharing our God-centered stories because the process of belief is not found in facts first. It's rather found in sharing the story that God is writing in your life and that he wants to write in their life as well. I want you to think about this. Imagine if there had been a person in Lara's life when she was in that place, and many of you can relate to this. When Laura was in that place of searching where she said, I want to follow God. I really do. But in all the rules and all of the right things to do, I'm at a place in my life where I'm getting lost in all of that. Imagine if someone had come alongside Laura, put their arm around her and said, hey, can I tell you my story? Because I see a lot of where you are in me. And there was a time in my life where I went after everything possible to try to satisfy the need in my heart, to try to have control of my life, to try to be, meet that, that hunger that was within me for peace, for contentment, for whatever it might've been for you. And I searched and did all kinds of things until I came to the day where I finally put my trust in Christ. And since I've done that, God has put me on this journey where he showed me that he is the one who deeply loves me and can satisfy the needs of my heart. And I don't need to run after all these other things that just leave me feeling more empty in the end because my hope is in Christ and I put my trust in him and God's writing this better story in my life. If someone had sat down with Laura in that moment of her life and shared with her what a transformative story of grace looks like through their own surrendered life to God, through their own story, I think it would have made a huge difference. And so what did Laura go out and do as God began to do that work of transformation in her? She found her way back to working with youth because it was in that season of her life where she needed someone to share their story with her And she felt like, well, I can go back and share my story. And maybe I can keep people from some of the pain and what I experienced in that time of my life. When you feel God's loving power to write a new story in your life, then you begin to believe that the good news is actually good news. And when you truly believe that the gospel is good news in your life, that's when God releases its power to change someone else's life. And this is basically it. When you truly believe the gospel is good news in your life, other people will believe that it's good news for their life as well. Because every one of us has a powerful story, but you've got to share your story 
So let me ask you this this morning, because this is the response I want you to consider today. And this is the last part of our outline here this morning. If it's good news for everyone, why wouldn't you share it? If it's good news for everyone, why wouldn't you share it? We all like to be the bearer of good news, don't we? Like we like to tell somebody else if we have good stuff to tell them. Um, Let me give you a, 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 for instance, I don't, um, know if you experienced this when you were growing up, but I remember um, when we used to try out for an athletic team, they would post like who made the team and who got cut. And that was kind of your way. Either they'd call it out, you'd get into the gym at the end of tryouts and they'd kind of call out who made it. And then if your name wasn't announced, you knew you were cut. Um, But uh, they, they would post this. And I can remember, you know, going into the gym and looking at that board uh, because with me, I, I was not the star athlete, so I was wanting to see if I made the team. And uh, then seeing, okay, I see my name on there. Great, I made it. And then I wanted to see if my friends made it also. And then if they hadn't seen yet, I wanted to run to them to let them know that they made the team too and that we could celebrate that together. I can also remember when I was in college, and I understand this doesn't happen anymore, but when I was in college, outside of the department uh, that you were taking your classes in, often your grades were posted. So you'd go to a bulletin board and you'd actually look down the, you'd scan down for your name and you'd find your name and then you'd go across to see what your grade was. And it was either like, yes, I passed or I didn't pass. Or you were just comparing once you saw that you passed or did well, you were looking at what your friends got. So you could either go encourage them or stick it to them if you beat them or whatever. But that was kind of the, I know on, they don't do any of that online because it's all online now, but that's good news. When you experience that, when you make a team, when you pass a test, when you do well, or someone else does, you want to share that with them. I think though, there, there, there are many times as we think about that, like one of the other pieces that I often think about is if you had news about the lottery that someone you knew had won, and for some reason they didn't, they weren't aware of that, you would be so thrilled to get that information to them right away. The good news is powerful. So why wouldn't we want to share it with people? And that's the question I want you to think about as we head towards baptisms today, because this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that it's not good news until it's been shared. I don't know if you've heard about the concept of potential energy, but potential energy is um, all the energy that's built into an object at rest that once it's set in motion can explode into motion. So we see this in a lot of areas in our life. Um, one of those things that it's most clearly seen in is a roller coaster. So let's watch this little clip together. All right, some of you say, and that's why I love roller coasters. And then there's another group of people who are like, and that's why I hate roller coasters. And usually you're in one camp or the other. But a roller coaster is a great example because as you're heading up that hill, usually it's not long into the coaster before you hit that first upward climb. And you know that's probably the biggest hill of the, of the experience. And so you get to the top. As you're heading up, there's all this potential energy that's building. And you get to the top and like a lot of roller coasters like that one, which was the Sheikstra. It's in uh, Tampa Bush Gardens, uh, if you ever want to go there, the, the Sheikstra, one of the largest drops. But they get you to the top and they hang you there. And so you're just looking down over, waiting for them to release you. But even if the coaster doesn't do that, it gets you to the top and there's almost that moment where you're kind of hanging there. So there's all this potential energy, but it doesn't get released until that thing goes, until it takes off in your life. 
And you know what? This, this, your story is so much the same way. God's built so much power into the story that he's given you, the story of your life, but none of it's released until you share it. None of it is released. Your story is, is, is this powerful story that God has packed with transformative power for others. But unless as a Christ follower we share it, no one else is ever going to be able to experience the thrill of what God has done in and through your life. Because how can they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? There was a video posted online of uh, two entertainers that you might be familiar with, Penn and Teller. And Penn is an American magician and, and entertainer. And he's very open about the fact that he's an atheist. Well, in this video that I'm going to show you in a moment, he talks a little bit about a sincere man who comes up and hands him a Bible after a show. But more than handing him a Bible says, look, my life has been transformed because of this, uh, because of what God has done in my life. And Penn's reflecting a little bit on this man's uh, conversation with him as he shares these words. Let's watch. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. So essentially, if you have the good news, Penn is saying, why wouldn't you share it? If you truly believe in something, why wouldn't you share it? And he said, that's why I always have respect for people who do proselytize, because they're sharing their story. And it tells me that they really believe it. Would you read Romans 10, 14 out loud with me? How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Paul's saying, unless you tell your story, people might think that Jesus is irrelevant to their story. They might never discover the power of the story that God wants to write in their lives. And they may never be able to grasp how much life change happens when we decide to hand the pen to God and allow him to write the story. And I love what the passage says earlier. It says that they might be able to experience life as a, a beloved child of God and that they will live a life that is never disgraced. That's good news. The truth is that we may never know what would happen if we shared our story unless we share it. The life change that might happen as a result of us sharing our story is incomprehensible for us. And if you talk to any of the people who are being baptized today, they're going to tell you this. They're going to say that if you want to let God write your story, all you need to do is stop resisting him and hand him the pen. And that's my story. I shared a little bit at the beginning. I wanted to write my own story. I thought that my story was better. 
I wanted to be successful and I wanted to make money and I wanted to have the relationships I wanted to have and do the things I wanted to do because I thought I could write a better story for my life. And I was, I was so wrong. I was so wrong. And it took my brother's story and his life changed to turn my story around. And this is the story that God continues to write in my life. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of freedom. It's a story of hope. It's a story of joy. It's a story of learning how to love well in the life that God has called me to. And I'm so glad that I said yes to God writing my story. I've never made a better decision than to surrender the pen to God. So in a few moments, we're going to watch some people be baptized who have surrendered the pen to God. They've stopped resisting and they said, God, would you write my story? And as we go into prayer this morning, I just want to ask you, what is keeping you from saying yes to the powerful story that God wants to write in your life and that he wants you to share with someone? Would you pray with me? If you're here this morning and you don't feel like you have a story or you have a story worth sharing, I want to encourage you that Jesus wants you to have a life-changing story with him. So stop resisting him. It's going to make a huge difference when you allow Jesus to be the center of your story. And that's worth it when it comes to saying yes to Jesus. Today might be your day to respond to him. Right where you are in the next few moments, just to pray silently in your heart and ask Jesus to forgive you for resisting him for so long and to lead your story from here on out. You can do that right now by praying this prayer along with me this morning in your heart. Jesus, you lived out a story that has impacted millions. The way that you love, the way that you sacrifice, taking on yourself all of my shortcomings and my shame and my wounds and my sin. God, you did all that to set in motion the opportunity for me to have a relationship with you. Thank you, God, for wanting to make everything new in my story. So this morning I put down the pen and I ask you to pick it up and write a new story, a better story for me. Help me to discover not only the greatest joys in my life, but also, God, help me to walk th with you and know that you're with me through the greatest sorrows. So, Lord Jesus, will you write a new story in my life, a story that's worth sharing with others? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.